Hey, thanks so much for joining us for another episode of the Tree of Life Church podcast. It's our prayer that these messages help connect you to the life, love, and power of Jesus. Today, I want to talk to you from this topic of fighting familiarity. Fighting familiarity. I'm going to read you a couple of blocks of scripture out of uh, the book of Mark and then the book of Luke. If you would turn to Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 6 for me. It's going to be a little bit long, and if you don't keep up or get there in time, that's okay. I'll help set the stage for it, and we'll come back to it later. But in Mark chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Jesus left that part of the country, and he returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. The next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. So this is basically like Jesus is going to his home church and his hometown, and he's going to start teaching in his home church. And they asked, the people of his town asked, where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? They were amazed, and they asked, where did he get all this wisdom and the power that he has to perform such miracles? And then they scoffed. He's just a carpenter, the son of Mary and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon. And his sisters live right here among us. Like, can we at least respect the sisters enough to say their name in the book? You know what I mean? They're like, I don't remember their names, but them too. And they were deeply offended and they refused to believe in him. But then Jesus told them, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his relatives and his own family. And because of their unbelief, say unbelief, he couldn't do, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. He was amazed. They were amazed at the words he spoke. He was amazed at their unbelief. I think it's really fascinating that the scripture says that he couldn't do any mighty work there, except he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. In our minds, that's like, wow, that's incredible. But if you were following Jesus around all the time, that was like light work. That was an average day. Nothing big happened in a day. I healed a couple of headaches and we're good. That was it. That was what life was like with Jesus. But can I challenge you? Jesus himself said, you will do greater works than these, referring to himself. God wants us to be involved in his miraculous story. The second part I want to read to you is Luke chapter 5, verses 17 through 21. Luke chapter 5, verses 17 through 21. It says, one day while Jesus was teaching, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law were sitting nearby. I love this in parentheses. It says, it seemed that these men showed up from every village in all Galilee and Judea, as well as from Jerusalem. You ever had that one person that you don't like and magically they're everywhere? Like you don't see anybody else around town except that one guy? That's what was happening to Jesus all the time. This is what it says. The Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. Another translation says, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Some men, carrying a par- some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. They tried to take him inside to Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. So they went up to the roof and they took off some tiles. Then they lowered the sick man on his mat down in the crowd right in front of Jesus. And seeing their faith, say faith for me, seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, young man, your sins are forgiven. I always thought, picture this guy to be pretty old, but Jesus was 33. So I don't know how young he must have been for Jesus to say that, but he had to be pretty young. But the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law said to themselves, who does he think he is? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. They're sitting in front of a miracle, but they stop and say, who does he think he is? 
I don't know if you've noticed this, but in our culture today, it seems like familiarity is a growing problem. Prime example, if you ever have seen when courtside fans at the NBA get a little wild, probably get a little tipsy, and they start saying crazy things to seven-foot-tall athletes that can outrun them, and I know they would never say that on the street. And if they did, I would love to see it, and I would pull out my phone and film it, and I know that's wrong, but I would probably sell the footage to TMZ, and I would tithe. Because it's godly. But it's crazy how comfortable people get in those settings because they know nothing can happen to them when they're in the building, right? You know, I see it everywhere. Honestly, I've been in situations where I I bought something and the cashier was like a younger person. And he's like, hey, what can I get you today? And I tell him, he's like, I got you, bro. I'm like, bro, you can't call me bro until you have a mortgage and a real beard. If you got real facial hair, we can talk. But you can't call me bro right now. Not, not yet. But it happens everywhere in our lives. There's so many examples of it. I remember when I was a teenager, I went through this weird phase. And uh, I was just trying to push the boundaries, test the limits. And I remember I asked my dad. My dad is, a, is an ex-Marine, a Marine Corps drill instructor. I said, hey, Dad, what would you think if I called you Pops instead of Dad? And I didn't know what he would say. And I was just testing my limits. And he said the most brilliant thing to me. He looked at me and said, you can call me whatever you want. Just don't call me David. And that may seem simple to you and short to you, but here's what he was really saying to me. You can be comfortable with me, but don't you dare get familiar with me. Because you need to realize that, first of all, I pay all your bills. And he wouldn't have said this, but I would have said this. And second of all, I can break you in half right now, you know? That's really what he was doing. There's silly things that we get familiar with that we don't even realize anymore. Like there's a good chance that sometime this week you're going to FaceTime your relative in another state and you're going to see each other on a video call. And you might even in the same day go press a button and turn on your Roomba or your shark little robot vacuum cleaner. Do you understand what that would look like to somebody from just 1965, not that long ago? They would think you are the Jetsons. Like, they would be so amazed with you. But we become familiar with things that are amazing because we get used to them in our everyday lives. I think about in basketball, particularly like people like Steph Curry. 15 years ago, your mind would have been blown to see people doing some of the things that he does. But now it's just like, yeah, I hope they don't win again. My gosh. You know, if you're a Spurs fan like me, you're like, not again. Come on. We don't even care anymore. Sometimes when greatness is repeated over and over again, we begin to lose kind of a sense of wonder about it. I think about people like Pastor Don. Pastor Don comes every single week and he preaches a message that he has prayed for for hours. He's prayed for you. He's prayed for the message. He's prayed for the people who are watching online. He's studied for hours and he leaves here and he's exhausted, not because he spoke, but because he gave you his heart on a Sunday morning. And I think when it happens week in and week out, it can be easy for us to forget how incredible that really is. What about your spouse? Do you remember how special and important you treated your spouse whenever you first started dating? But we get accustomed to how great they are and then we begin to treat them familiar. And then over time, if it gets even worse, we can become annoyed by the things that we thought were so great about them in the first place. And what I see in these stories of people, Jesus going to his hometown of Nazareth, and then Jesus also sitting with these teachers of the law, as I see people who were in the presence of the greatness of God, but they were locked in a state of familiarity. 
And I believe that they didn't receive from God because of their unbelief. But can I tell you that I don't think it was a lack of faith that was the primary problem. I think it was the presence of familiarity. In fact, if you look in the scripture when it says that Jesus went to his hometown, it says he taught and it says the people were amazed by his words. And then it says, they said, where did he get the power to speak like this and to do these miracles? What that's saying is they saw the miracles, they knew and they believed. But familiarity got in the way of them receiving something from God. And I believe that sometimes familiarity is the barrier that prevents us from receiving our miracle. Now, here's what I want to say unequivocally, as strong as I can. What I'm not saying today is that if you prayed for a miracle and you believe for God to do something and it didn't turn out the way you hoped it would, I am not saying that it was your familiarity with God that caused that not to happen. Now, what you were doing in that moment is you were acknowledging he is the miracle working God. I am coming to him and I'm believing for something. And I don't know why things didn't turn out the way you thought. And it would be foolish of me to try and give you a little nice explanation for why, because I'm not God. But I will encourage you to keep believing for something greater. Because God can turn anything around. And because honestly, there are some things that we'll only know when we get to heaven. The Bible says the secret things belong to the Lord. And we'll see it when we get there someday. So that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about today is what if if we become so familiar with God that we forget to even ask him anymore? What if we become so familiar with God that we forget to even believe him for things anymore? Can you imagine the people in India that hear about the name of Jesus for the first time? And they hear about how good he is and how faithful he is. And when they hear his name for the very first time, they receive a miracle because it's fresh to them. It's not familiar. And I wonder if it's become so easy for us to just come to church and to hear the stories in the Bible and just to go, that's really great. I can't believe that God did that. That's so good. That's so amazing. But to forget that God is still a miracle working God today. I just want to encourage you for a moment. I I, I kind of want to push your buttons a little bit today and say, what is it that you've forgotten to believe God for because you've gotten so familiar with him? Have we forgotten that we do serve a miracle working God? Have we let familiarity get in the way and like, yeah, I read my Bible every day and I I pray for 10 minutes and then I, I come to church on Sundays and I even serve, but I'm not believing like I used to believe. Am I treating God as common when he wants to do a miracle in my life? I believe familiarity can block the blessing of God on our lives. Not because he doesn't want to, but because we're not asking him anymore. Because we've forgotten how great he truly is. How personal he truly is. How much he really does want to bless us. Again, I'm not talking about if you've been believing for something over and over. That's a whole other discussion. I'm talking about if you've forgotten to believe him for greater And so today I want to talk to you about three ways to fight familiarity. It's a really simple message. It's intentionally simple. It's so that you can take it and run with it and do something with it in your personal life. We're going to talk through these scriptures, but the first way I want to to talk about fighting familiarity is this. Number one, remember who he is. Remember who he is. It's fascinating to me that when Jesus goes to Nazareth, they're like, oh, yeah, I know this guy. He's the carpenter kid. He messed up my table when he was 15. You know, like they're, they're just tagging him as something, but they're not really seeing who he is. They're not seeing him in the right light. It's fascinating to me that the Pharisees say, 
when Jesus is in the room with them and he forgives someone's sin, they say, who does he think he is forgiving someone's sins like this? You know what's crazy to me is in the book of Mark, before this incident, when Jesus goes to his hometown, here's what's happening. He crosses the lake of the Sea of Galilee to a place called uh, uh, the Gadarenes or the Gennesaret. And he goes over to this place and he's in this area. And when he gets there, it's mostly Gentile people, people who don't know God. And he goes and he heals a man who's possessed by a demon. And then he leaves immediately. It's almost like he came just to heal that guy and then he's out. And he leaves and he tells that guy, hey, I want you to go tell everybody you know about Jesus. Can I just say for a moment, God's intent for you is that whatever he's done for you, you ought to tell people who don't know him about what he's done. When you go to work tomorrow, you are the messenger and he has commissioned you to tell other people what he's done in your life. And so Jesus goes back, he heals this man. He goes back and he gets on the shore and immediately the local synagogue leader in this particular region named Jairus, Jairus comes and Jairus does know God and he knows the scriptures and he runs, the Bible says, to Jesus' feet. He falls at his feet and he says, Jesus, my daughter is sick and dying. Heal her so she may live. And Jesus gets up to go with him. There's a massive crowd following him around. And in the crowd, some of you will know this story. There's a lady and she has an issue of blood. She had been dealing with this sickness for years and years. And she says in her heart to herself, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I will be healed. And she pushes through the crowd to get to Jesus. And then it says in the beginning of that scripture we read, he left that region and went to Nazareth. And then people just viewed him as familiar. And then people just viewed him as so-and-so's kid. I forgot his sister's name. I don't know. I think we went to prom. And they, you never know. So they go through all of this. And the Bible says he could do no mighty work there. No mighty work. You know what's striking to me about that story is the demon-possessed man, the Bible says he ran to Jesus. Maybe it was the demons that made him run, but God will use whatever he needs to use to get you in the right place. You know what's crazy to me is Jairus ran to the feet of Jesus and fell at his feet. What's crazy to me is that the woman with the issue of blood, she forced her way through the crowd and grabbed the hem of his garment All these people came to Jesus because they were believing that he is the God of the impossible. Can I say it this way? The demons ran to Jesus because they even knew that he was God. But the people in his hometown, oh, he had to come to them. You can come to church with us and you can talk to us a little bit and we'll see if we like it or not. There was an air of familiarity in that place. They didn't know who he really was. I just want to ask you today, do you remember who your God really is? And I know that we know the answer to that question. If you grew up in Sunday school, there was always one kid. He was like a little bit weird sometimes. And he would always, every question, he'd be like, Jesus. You're like, bro, Jesus is not the answer to everything. It's not that literal. But there was always a kid that always said Jesus was the answer. We know the church answers, don't we? Do you know who your God is? Amen. He's a good God. He's a provider. But I'm asking you, do you know that he is still the miracle maker today? I'm asking you, do you know that he is still Jehovah Jireh, your provider? I'm asking you, do you still know that he is God sovereign over everything? I'm asking you, do you know from experience of being with him that he is God, Lord over all? You know, we live in a world and a society where people have so many ideas about what they think God might be. Somebody told me the other day, the universe is so awesome. And I was like, the universe is awesome. I've seen it with like a telescope, but... 
that's not God. I haven't seen the whole universe, but. It's crazy to me that we live in a place where people believe in a higher power and they believe in the universe and all of these things, but we know what they're really searching for. We know his name. We know who he is. And as believers, part of the thing that God wants to do through you when you believe for something big, when you believe for a miracle, part of what God wants to do through you is he wants to put a name to what these people are looking for. Does that make sense to you? To your coworker that's saying, well, I believe there's something out there. And you say, well, I prayed to Jesus and this is what happened when I did. Put a name on it and let them know that he is the God that they're searching for. Paul, the apostle, was in Athens, Greece, and he walked into a temple and there was an idol, a statue to an unknown God. And he walked out to all of the intellectual people of the day and he said, the, the God you're trying to worship that you don't know the name, I know his name and it's Jesus. Do you know who your God is today? Do you still believe, like that old song used to say, that, uh, that there's power in the blood of the Lamb? You remember the one song that said, what a mighty God we serve? Angels bow before him, heaven and earth adore him. What a mighty God we serve. The band would get into it and they'd do the stop. Angels bow before us. Somebody had a tambourine in the crowd. If you grew up in my church when I was a kid, somebody had streamers too. It was getting crazy. What a mighty God we serve. Do you remember who your God is? Second thing I want to ask you today is, do you remember what he's done? If you want to fight familiarity, you've got to remember who he is, and you've got to remember what he's done. Check out this scripture. It's a crazy scripture. It's in uh, Psalms, uh, book of Psalms, verse 78. I mean, chapter 78. And it's verses 40 through 43. Here's what it says. How often they provoked him in the wilderness. This is... They're talking about the people of Israel when they're in the, in the wilderness and God has delivered them from Egypt. How often they provoked God in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert. Yes, again and again, they tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. They did not remember his power. Say remember. The day when he redeemed them from the enemy, when he worked his signs in Egypt and his wonders in the fields of Zoan. Here's my question to you today. Do you know that it's possible to God it's possible to limit God with our unbelief. And for some people that might sit kind of weird. You're like, well, God can't be limited. God can do anything. But let me ask you this. When, when Jesus heals the woman with the issue of blood, he turns to her and he says, daughter, go in peace. By the way, I want you to see this really quick. This is how Jesus treated women versus how the world in his day treated women. They said, ah, his sisters, and they didn't remember their names. That was cultural. They didn't really care. Jesus looks at a woman he doesn't know and the world considers unclean and he says, daughter. He treated him with dignity. So Jesus says, daughter, go in peace. Your faith has healed you. So let me ask you a question. If her faith healed you, healed her, then would her unbelief have kept her from being healed? I think the logical answer is yes. Again, I'm not saying that if you don't get healed that it's because you have unbelief. There's people that will try to tell you that every time and sometimes things just happen and I don't know why because I'm not God and I don't sit on the throne. But what I am saying is that we can limit what God wants to do in our lives by our unbelief. And our unbelief sometimes is really just caused by this. We forgot what he did back then. Like maybe you've been walking with God for 10, 20, 30 years and, and you begin to forget what he's done for you in the past. I just want to ask you today, what has he done? I keep talking about this old song. I keep thinking about it all the time. 
It says, as I look back over my life and I think things over, I can truly say that I am blessed. I've got a testimony. When you really think about it, I was talking to someone before service started today. Both of our cars broke down and both of our cars broke down the moment we pulled into where we were going. (laughs) It's like, you know what? Thank you, Jesus, that it didn't break down when I was on the side of the road. Like, I, I mean, I hit the threshold of where I was going and boom, that's when it happened. Have you seen the little things that God did for you along the way? You know, something else I was thinking about too is like the Pharisees that were in that room and they were there with Jesus when they lowered the man down on the mat. The Bible says that Jesus forgave the man's sins and healed him. So the presence of the Lord is there to heal. So any one of them, you know, some of those guys had something going on in their body that they could have been healed from if the presence of the Lord is in the room to heal. They don't receive anything. Then Jesus forgives the man's sins. And instead of saying, God, would you forgive us of our sins too? Their response is, who does he think he is to forgive sins? What I think happened right there is they crept into this place of self-righteousness. Well, I don't need him because I know about him. And can I say that's just so dangerous for us as people, especially if you've been a Christian for a long, long time, is to to think for some reason that, you know what, I've got it on my own because I'm at this place in my walk with the Lord. To think somehow that you're not just as broken as you once were without him. And can I just challenge for a moment, if you have nothing else to remember to remind you of what God's done in your life, can you just look back and see what kind of pit he pulled you out of when he saved you all those years ago? And where you would be right now if God hadn't set you free. See, we've got to get out of the familiar thing where we just come and we know the scriptures to say, we know the response to say, we know that we read our Bible for 15 minutes in the morning and we pray and we listen to our worship music on the way to work, but we don't remember what he did and we're not believing him for something great right now. I think the enemy of faith is just comfort, just getting comfortable with God. It's fascinating to me in the Old Testament, they didn't get comfortable with God. They had this thing where they respected and reverenced and honored the presence of God. The Bible says that when Moses would go to meet with God, he would go into the tent of meeting and a cloud would descend on the tent. And he would go in there and um, the people of Israel would all stand at their tents and just watch. And it says they would bow down and worship and then they would just stand and watch. They would watch a man meet with God because it was so incredible to them. But you and I have the opportunity, the ability Because of what Jesus did at the cross, the Bible says to go directly into the throne room of God and to ask him for mercy and help in time of need. Do we remember the God that we're serving and what he's done for us or have we gotten comfortable and familiar with who he is? And the third and final thing I wanna challenge you with today is this. Remember where you are. Some of you just woke up and you're like, Where am I? Not that. Remember where you are. I think it's really interesting when God finds Moses in the backside of the desert at Exodus chapter three, Moses is herding sheep. He's herding his father-in-law's sheep, actually. It's not even his. He came from being a prince in Egypt, living in the palace of Pharaoh. Now he's herding sheep on the backside of the desert. He's about 80 years old. He probably feels like, man, I just blew it. My life's over. And God finds him. Here's what it says, Exodus 3, verses 1 through 6. I want to read the whole thing to you. One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. If I, yeah, Jethro, I just always think that's a country name. But anyways, he led the flock 
far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of the bush. Moses stared in amazement. There's that word again, by the way, amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself, like understatement of the century, Moses. Is that all you got? The bush is on fire? And you're like, this is amazing. Okay, great. Uh, why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, do you notice that? Like the man in the region of the Gerasenes that was possessed by a demon, like Jairus running to Jesus, like the woman with the issue of blood, Moses is coming to God. And the Lord called out from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. God says, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And when Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Let me ask you a question. Do you think it was Moses' first time at Sinai? I don't. I mean, he was a shepherd. You talk to some of the people that used to farm and ranch all of this area, they know everything about this area. Moses was walking around. He'd been to Sinai before, I assume. In fact, he's the one that presumably writes the book of Exodus. And so when he writes the book of Exodus, I feel like he would have told us if it was his first time at Sinai. He comes to Sinai, probably a place he's been before on a mundane day, normal day, watching the sheep, doing his thing, and something amazing happens. And God meets him in that moment and says, this is holy ground. What's fascinating to me about the burning bush, this is holy ground. And then he's commissioned to go and to set the people of Israel free from Egypt. In the book of Acts, we see the people of God and they're gathered in the upper room and they're waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says when the Holy Spirit descends, it's like flames of fire that come upon their heads. And they're commissioned to go and to bring freedom to people. And I just want to submit this idea to you today that Moses took his sandals off because he was standing on holy ground when he was seeing God and hearing God at the burning bush. But I wonder today if because of the Holy Spirit who lives on the inside of you, because the fire of the Holy Spirit that rests on your life, if everywhere you go is now holy ground. Like I just have to wonder if maybe everywhere you set foot, like God said to Joshua, is land that I have given you. What that means is I'm with you wherever you go. I have to wonder if when you walk around at your job tomorrow, if you're standing on holy ground. See, when you remember who God is and you remember what he's done, that I serve a miracle working God, what a mighty God we serve. When I look back over my life and I think things over and I can truly say that I'm blessed, I've got a testimony. A testimony is a reminder that if he did it before, he is still able and he can do it again. And when you walk into that job or you walk into that school, or you walk into that broken environment tomorrow, and you step foot in that place, it may feel like the enemy's territory, but when your feet hit the ground, it's holy ground. It's holy ground. And here's why it's holy ground. Not because you're great, not because I'm great, but because the greater one lives on the inside of us. <laughs> Moses, said, Moses said in Exodus chapter 33, God was gonna send him into the promised land, but without the presence of God. And Moses said, and he was gonna give him success too, but he was gonna give him success without his presence. And God said, 
he was going to do this. And Moses said, we won't go unless your presence goes with us. Because if not, then there's nothing else to separate us from the rest of the world. See, we can be successful all we want. But if we don't have his presence, then what makes us any different from anybody else? If you would just stand with me for a moment. I remember there was a song that we used to sing when I was a kid. Um, I'm thinking after this, I'm going to write, I'm going to release like a compilation of old songs. <laughs> just kidding. From the vault. That's what we'll call it. Uh, but uh, there was a song that we used to sing. And I, I just want to encourage you. I don't know what it is. Your house. Can I say this? Your house is holy ground. Don't value what a person does on this stage when they speak with a microphone more than the words that you speak to your children when you raise them, when you teach them the word of God. More than the words that you speak to your spouse. Can I say this? More than the words that you speak to yourself in the mirror when you wake up. That your house is holy ground. Your job is holy ground. Can I say this? That's why it's so important to get into the church because this is holy ground. I don't think it's holy ground because... It's a special building. I believe it's holy ground because the people of God and the presence of God, lifting up the praises of God, in that atmosphere, anything can happen. That's why Jesus said, where two or three are gathered, there I am in the midst of them. Because his presence is here, this is holy ground. You remember this old song they used to sing? We are standing. Can we just sing that if you know it? On holy ground, and I know that there are angels all around. Let us praise Jesus now, and let us praise Jesus now. Sing that again. We are. Say, we are standing on holy ground. Thank you that everywhere we set foot is holy ground because your presence is with us. I just want to minister to you for a second. If you're in a place that's difficult, if you don't know what you're going to do, I don't know if it's your job situation. I don't know if it's your finances, your health, your marriage. I don't know if it's your mental health, but I want want you to know for just a moment, if it is your mental health, that Jesus is standing right there with you. I never forget I'll never forget the day I was dealing with some really intense anxiety early in our marriage. And I never forget Christy just said, hey, um, why don't we just go on a walk? And she just walked with me. 
And I don't know if there's anybody walking with you in real life today, but I know that in the spirit realm that Jesus is standing right there with you. I believe he's right there to touch your mind. I don't know what it is, but if you would just lift your hands, if you need a touch from God, if you need a miracle, Father, we thank you that we're standing on holy ground right now. Not because there's anything special about this building, but because when the people of God flood this place, the presence of God floods this place. And I just prophesy over you that when you walk into the situation that's giving you anxiety tomorrow, when you walk into the situation that you're having to fight through, when you walk into the temptation, when you walk into the broken marriage, when you walk into the job, that you want to quit, when you walk in to a difficult relationship with your teenager, when you walk in tomorrow, I want you to see it like like Moses when he took off his sandals and he stepped into the presence of God on holy ground. That God is with you wherever you go. That he is for you. That he is behind you and before you. That he is beside you. That he is with you wherever you go. I just pray today over you that you would remember who your God is. What a mighty God we serve. I pray today that you remember what he's done for you, that when you look back over your life and you really think things over, you can truly say that you've been blessed. And then I pray over you today that you would realize that you are standing in his presence on holy ground everywhere you go. Holy ground. In Jesus' name. Thanks again for joining us this week. We pray that this message encouraged and inspired you. If you want to find out how you can be a part of Tree of Life, just go to our website, treeoflifechurch.org. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and share it with a friend.